from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. We did things like put signs on the street saying, don't come out onto the street. We were criticized by both sides, one for not being tough enough, one for, you know, government taking over our lives. Just cover the, the darn trucks. Just do your things right. Clean the, concentrate off the wheels and off the... Because lead is just almost emitting from these trucks driving in and out all day. It's like a fugitive dust is what the technicians would call it. Here's what he told 60 Minutes 2, quote, Oxygen is a toxin if taken in too high a quantity. Table salt is a toxin if taken in too high a quantity. Was the company always that disingenuous in your dealings? (laughs) Actually, I'm I'm sorry I'm laughing. It's so absurd. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last week, we talked on this show about the difficulty of remediating environmental contamination. The EPA recently announced $1 billion for accelerated Superfund cleanups. But as our guests explained, with 1,300 Superfund sites across the U.S., that's a drop in the bucket. And in a region with a history of serious contamination, the problems can feel intractable. But Steve Mahfoud remembers what happened two decades ago in the small town of Herculaneum, Missouri, as a striking success and a story that still offers lessons for today. Steve Mahfoud is the former director of the Missouri Department of Natural Resources, and he joins us today. Steve, welcome. Thank you, Sarah. Great to be here. So you've been involved in environmental issues for about 40 years now, but your leadership of Missouri's uh, Department of Natural Resources really put you right in the bullseye, as you say, of a huge cleanup. What triggered attention to the lead contamination in Herculaneum? It it really was a a matter at the time of uh, the citizens and the citizen advocacy really drove the initial thinking about about what was going on in Herculaneum. As you just talked about, we have so many problems in Missouri with Superfund sites and formerly contaminated sites. But this was one where there was an untold amount of lead contamination, and it was so obvious, and it was obvious that a lot of things had not been done up to that point. And when you say up to that point, this had been going on for basically a century. 1892, that smelter started in wow. operation, and and uh, with a lead legacy going back to the 1700s. A lot of people don't realize that uh, the lead that was used to mold Napoleon's bullets and his conquering of countries in Europe came from Missouri. Is that I, right? I didn't down, know that. Went down the Mississippi River, bring it across. That's what. That's where the lead came from. So there, there was lead here in Missouri, and this was the place where it was being processed. It was the, the, later on. More modern processes started at 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 Doe Run and Herculaneum in 1892. And These are the modern the processes yeah, of, of modern, 1892. Yes. So I imagine yes. the environmental standards of 1892 were not exactly up to, to modern specifications. They were not there at all. In fact, there weren't any real regulations till 1978. Is that right? That's how long it took to really put your arms around the air pollution side of 
lead contamination? So I feel like today lead is a known hazard. You know, we hear yes. about like when you're a parent from day one, they're talking to you about is there lead paint around? We got to check your kids for lead. It's just this constant thing. Yes. Back in the day, they didn't understand how dangerous this was. No. No. And, and in fact, a couple of watershed moments happened in the late 70s where we banned lead in, in the production of uh, our fuels, gasoline, and we also banned lead-based paint. And, but up to that time, up to the 70s, late 70s, there were virtually no regulations and virtually nothing in, in place that was forceful enough to change how people did business. So how bad were things in Herculaneum as far as lead contamination goes? Oh, well, it it was such an ongoing universal blanket of contamination is how we talked about it. The yards, the roads, everything, the roads leading into Herculaneum, and most of all, the children. There was a history of taking uh, blood lead level tests of the children all were elevated, but standards for dealing with the problem were not really formulated until really the, the early 80s. Did we say, oh, it's uh, going to be uh, 30 micrograms per deciliter? Or as we, as we start going through the numbers, and, um, and more research has led us to a tremendously reduced, hundreds of percent less of a, of a, require, of, of, uh, a standard now that you know, really triggers quickly the action that should take place. And so they were testing uh, the lead levels in these kids. They were getting the results, and yet nobody was, was too alarmed about this for a the, long time? The, they were alarmed, and in fact, in the, in the early 80s, they started a process, they being the Environmental Protection Agency, of requiring states to p- develop plans to address these issues. but. Frankly, these are bureaucracies at all levels. And there's politics. The levels that were set, the lead-lead levels, both in emissions and in what was allowed in our children and human blood-lead levels, was all done in a political process in Washington. And the science was never listened to exactly. So it was always a compromise. So the standards were always higher than what the scientists said was correct. And, and you also mentioned there was a, a blanket was the term you used, meaning almost like a physical covering of, yes. of lead dust. When, you, when, when the, the, uh, the lead concentrate that would come from the mines that are in separate areas in Missouri, and there's hundreds of mine sites, but there's something called the old lead belt, which was closer to Herculaneum, and the new lead belt, which was centered on a town called Viburnum, Mm. Missouri. Well, the transport of those lead concentrate to, to the smelter took place first in trains, but there was a spill. The company felt like they had too much liability, so they switched the transport to trucks. They were supposed to cover the trucks with with tarps, and you and you have trucks that can do this. This is not rocket science. This is a known technology. They weren't doing it, so it became it sounds to awfully small in thinking, but it was a housekeeping problem. We were asking them just cover the the darn trucks, just do your things right, clean the concentrate off the wheels and off the. 
Because lead is just almost uh, emitting from it's, these trucks driving in and out all day. It's like a fugitive dust is what the technicians would call it. And so it's flying off the trucks. And then when it finally arrives in, in, in uh, Herculaneum, all the streets, all the, yard, all the yards, all the streets, they were all contaminated. And they're still part of what, what you mentioned and what was mentioned in a previous program. Those cleanups are still going on because mm-hmm. there was recontamination. You'd clean one up, and then a truck would come through. The smelter would emit emissions, and the, and the yards would be, we'd be dirty again. So, and, so you weren't kidding when you said there's a long history of contamination in this town. Absolutely. Governor Bob Holden, yes. he brings you in. You're the uh, director of the Missouri Department of Natural Resources. Mm-hmm. When did you realize, okay, this is going to be a major thing that's going to be on your plate? This is in the early aughts. Well, I, I, a, a little a little history that, that goes back, and I can do this very quickly. Uh, my family's uh, farm uh, was situated in south-central Ozarks, uh, my grandparents. Uh, their farm was contaminated by a lead smelter that was nearby. Mm. And it was one of the first uh, out-of-court settlements uh, with a lead company uh, for the contamination of their property. So me being an environmental scientist, looking at my own family's situation, it became really clear that something was wrong when all the animals that my grandparents had on their farm uh, died of of lead pollution. They had high blood lead levels in creeks that were flowing around uh, my grandparents' property. Well, that raised my concern and elevation. That'll get your attention. It, it sure did. Yeah. So I carried that with me and knew that as soon as we were alerted by the alert citizens, uh, Jack and Leslie Warden, two wonderful people, we knew that we had to get we had to do something now regardless of how restrictive and difficult the legislative and regulatory process was we had to figure some way out to get this company to take action so how did you even go about doing that well we assigned staff directly to only work with herculaneum we did things like put signs on the street saying, don't come out onto the street because it's contaminated, which upset a lot of the citizens in Herculaneum, but then alerted people in the state and nationally that this was an extremely important problem when you can't walk in the streets or let your kids go out because of the potential for lead contamination. We then started doing surveillance activities Um, uh, with the company to try to get them to uh, think that we were surveilling them at a really high level when we didn't have the the physical resources. You you didn't have people to just sit there and watch what's coming out of the smelter, but you wanted them to think that you did. Absolutely. So how did you go about doing that? Well, again, we had had great staff who were very... uh, 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 very creative, and uh, park a park an old van with a frosted window across the street from an entrance, and put a fake camera in there. And everybody thought we were watching them twenty four seven, when in fact we weren't watching them twenty four seven because we couldn't afford to do it. This, this is Missouri, and I can say we don't fund our environmental activities at a high level in the state of Missouri. So. So we you had, had to, to be do very, what you could. And, and, we had, and we had our governor's support to do what you needed to do because he was very concerned about the health of the children in Herculaneum. 
And, and you talk about this subterfuge and, and sort of trying to get the attention of people in Herculaneum. I guess it's fair to say that when you first approached Doe Run with these issues, they were not immediately like, yep, we've got a huge problem here. Let, we, let us open our checkbook. No, exactly. And, and I, to their credit, they were working on cleaning up yards. There, there were plans in place, and they would go around and clean up yards. But come on. You, know, you clean up the yards, and, and a few months later, uh, the large yards are contaminated again. The trucks and the housekeeping, the fugitive dust was flying all over, and the kids were – it was just a mess. But to take action, we felt like we needed to have the right information. So we engaged our State Department of Health and Senior Services. There was a leader there, Colleen Kivlihan, who was – very, very supportive of what we wanted to do. And with the federal assistance, State Department of Health went in, did these surveys, and, and I'm oversimplifying it, but basically in a one and a quarter mile area around this smelter, uh, we had anywhere from, from uh, almost 60% to 20% of the children contaminated and far beyond the blood lead levels that were acceptable to keep them healthy. So, so that became the real target. Like, yes, yeah. there's contamination all over this town. Here's a zone. That's right. We need to get people out of this zone. And the strategy is, given the way uh, environmental regulation works in the United States and in, and in Missouri, you start off with what, what you can do. That was what we could do with, frankly, the goal of closing the smelter. But we didn't have the legal authority and the legal firepower to close that smelter that immediate moment. So the first thing was bring attention, get the people most vulnerable away from the contamination, and then work hard to reach the point that they did in 2013, and the smelter was closed. It took that many years of consistent work to get finally get the smelter closed and get that contamination away from everybody. So in 2013, that smelter closed. In 2002, which again, almost a decade before that, the state helped negotiate the buyout of 160 That's homes it. that are in that radius. Was there any precedent for a company having to buy out that many people, that big a zone? No, there was no precedent for it because the, what had been done up to that point is you and I and all the other taxpayers had paid to clean up sites like this through the Superfund funds, mm -hmm. which are federal funds. This was a buyout negotiated for the company to pay 100% of this buyout. And it was a long process. It was very open to the public at the, at the time, a lot of controversy. But Doe Run eventually, with the kinds of pressure that they saw from the community, and from those people around them, they realized they had to get these people and these children away from this contamination. And since they were unwilling to close their plant, which granted, there was hundreds of jobs in that plant that mm -hmm. were well-paying jobs. So the transition, though, from perspective of the health of our children or these jobs, we did prioritize the health of, our, of the children and the citizens ahead of the particular operation of that smelter because we felt the smelter could have operated at a much better level without more emissions and run much better. 
And get the kids out of there in the and meantime. Get, and get the kids out of there in the meantime. We, we were criticized by both sides, one for not being tough enough, one for, you know, government taking over our lives. And, you know, we, we heard all that, but I give it to Governor Holden and the staff and, and at the state government. They didn't waver. They were willing to take on what was a very difficult problem. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. And now back to the conversation. My guest today is Steve Mafood. He's a former director of the Missouri Department of Natural Resources, talking to us about the remarkable events in Herculaneum in the early aughts and everything that followed. Steve, this is just a crazy story. I mean, this it, must have been so intense in the middle of this. It, it, it was. It was. It was a couple of years of uh, out of our lives that uh, uh, we knew would make a difference because we knew it could make a difference in other areas to deal with lead pollution in our urban areas, lead-based paint. If we could put this kind of application to a very specific problem, why couldn't we do that for those communities that are underserved and undercared for? And so this really moved us along and to the point where in 2008, uh, I was able to testify in front of a national commission uh, dealing with the blood lead level standards and the mm. emission standards for lead and we were able to get those lowered uh, by 300 percent to the point where it is a much much more scientifically based standard now we are really at the place where i would have loved to have us to have been 20 years ago mm. but we're there from a science perspective now in a, in a much better way so it's really enforcement yeah that, that's where that's where this comes down you can have the best permits. You can have all these wonderful bells and whistles in place that a company signs on to. But if they're not willing to, to do what, you've, what they've pledged to do, you're back into the same problem. You've got to hold them accountable. You have to hold them accountable. You provide the assistance for them to get their act together. But then you get to a certain point. You have to make a decision and say that's enough. You know, you know, you're 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 done, or you know, you, you've got to change the way you do things. So, Doe Run, um, their CEO, you mentioned 60 Minutes uh, too, covered this story, and it was interesting to hear the comments he made at the time. It feels like today we all know lead is a huge problem. We don't want it anywhere near our kids. Here's what he told 60 Minutes too: "Quote: No one disputes the fact that if you did not have a lead smelter in Herculaneum, there would be less lead in Herculaneum. But the fact that there's a lead smelter in Herculaneum." does not necessarily say that there are health risks in Herculaneum as a result of that smelter. There are many things that are toxins. Oxygen is a toxin if taken in too high a quantity. Table salt is a toxin if taken in too high a quantity. Was the company always that disingenuous in your dealings? 
<laughs> actually, I'm, I'm sorry I'm laughing. It's so absurd. Uh, actually, on the local level, I found a lot of very serious and mm-hmm. caring folks who, who wanted to do the right thing. Because but, they're in this community, too, exactly, on the local level. Exactly. Perfect. Exactly. So so th- there was a lot of frustration on, on their part. And there were, there were a number of people that really tried to do the right thing. But, you know, if you have a corporate culture that is pushing you in the other direction and your uh, metrics for, are for, for success are based on simply on how much lead you can turn out and the hell with the people that live nearby, you, you know, you're stuck. Yeah. And, and we always felt badly for, for these people. But again, it's another part of the thing where they would help us with information. They would tell us what, here's what's, here's what we need to do and here's what we can do. And So you had you some know. people working at this smelter who, who were on your side. Absolutely. And we had, we had a couple of staff members, uh, a Dave Mosby, I'm going to say his name. He's still, he was a wonderful staffer at the local level. And, and uh, uh, Leanne Tippett was another woman who worked very closely with the community and stayed in touch with the community's needs. And we tried to match everything up and and make things fit so that it wasn't Big Brother coming in and saying, this is what you need. We wanted to respond to the community. So it feels like in America these days, everything becomes just people yelling at each other from opposite yes. posts. People never want to like come up with some agreement that would actually work. And I know that there were people in Herculaneum who depended on the smelter for their livelihood. Yes. How did you keep this from descending just into rancor where people who were fighting for their jobs and, and were willing to take the risk versus people who wanted to get out of town? wanted to get a buyout? Well, the, the, it's a great question, and I can't say it was ever truly solved, but it moved into the right direction when we actually had the people believed in science at that point. So we actually had the science that showed how many children were affected by this. So people then become concerned when it's their children. So it's Them, these tests these, you did, these blood yeah, tests were everything. Yeah, yes, and and we requested that. The governor requested that. That did not come, uh, and, and I, I don't want to, to knock my EPA partners, but we had to push. E- EPA is in the lead now with making things happen, and as you mentioned earlier, spending lots of money to clean up what the remainder of these sites. But at the time, there was a lot of inertia that, well, we need to line this up with this, and and we just got together as a staff at the Department of Natural Resources and said, we cannot let these children be exposed in this way. Mm-hmm. We have a strategy. We would like to close that plant, but you know that probably won't happen under our watch, but we're going to make sure that those people that are most exposed get the attention that they need now, regardless of the consequences. And that's what Governor Holden bought on to. He had he, your back in all this. He, he did. He did. He, he had a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful attention to the needs of the children of our state. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's what he did. So I want to go to the phone lines here. Yeah. Uh, Susan is actually calling from the Metro East. <sighs> uh, Susan, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hey. Um, Susan, I, I understand you're concerned about contaminants on, on dirt roads. Is that right? Yes, yes. Um, yes, I heard a professor talking about this uh, oh, eight, eight or so years ago, a retired professor at SIU. Um, he's done studies in the Metro East. But, uh, but right now we are in a neighborhood where a street, a, a major street is being torn up. And um, the surface is gone from a lot of the street now. 
and uh, so it's dusty, dirty, and not too many cars travel on it, but they do. And and I see as I'm walking along, and I intended not to go up this street, but I do because it's the quickest way to get out of the neighborhood. Um, so as I'm walking along, I see that uh, the dust that dust flies up from the cars. So I'm wondering, uh, there are also piles of gravel that the um, that the workers. Uh, you know, move gravel around here and there, and they fill in holes with gravel and dirt. And, and, and Susan, you're worried about whether to be concerned that there might be lead in that. Is that, is that your yes, focus? Yes, lead or other, or other contaminants, other so, unhealthy So, Steve, you understand the resources yeah. that are out there. Do you have any suggestions for Susan well, well, on this well, issue? Yeah, I mean, this would be definitely the, to contact the Illinois Environmental Protection Agency. And uh, they've got a regional office, I believe it's in Collinsville, and I would contact them uh, immediately. And you could also contact uh, one of the regional environmental organizations like uh, the Missouri Coalition for the Environment or the uh, Great Rivers Environmental Law Center. Uh, Bruce Morrison, I think, was on the show th- this he past was, week. Yeah. And, and they would be very helpful in finding resources and getting something done quickly. But I would not let the, the governmental agency off the hook. I would give them a call immediately. Well, Susan, thank you for that question. And and Steve, thank you for sharing that advice. You know, there's so many uh, citizens out there who are concerned about what's happening in the environment around them. And you've said that citizens are really the key to to pushing for things like this, making things like what happened in Herculaneum happen. But hearing you tell the story, it seems like it's also dependent on a state government that really prioritizes this and a governor who has those citizens back. Absent that, could something like Herculaneum have happened? Uh, Right. Right. And I, I think not, and, and, and not in this modern age. You know, so so yeah. what, what would you see as the takeaway here for Missouri residents or Illinois residents like Susan who, who are worried about issues like this? Um, what can they do? I, I, don't stay quiet. Your environmental advocates, uh, if, you're, if you're handy with a computer, all you have to do is just get on there and, 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 you know, and, and Google that environmental advocates for my region. You're going to find here that there are people that can be helpful guide you in what you need to do, and maybe even come to your rescue in whether either through the legal system or through some other uh, com- uh, communication means with with the regulatory agencies. But don't just sit back and think, well, somebody else is going to take care of this. You've got to have that. You've got to have that that push. And it's interesting that the power of the local governments, um, you know, we mm. always think about, oh, the feds are there and the EPA is there. They're putting money into this. Uh-huh. But it seems like unless they have some good local partners, some mobilized citizens and, and yes. again, state government, local right. government. That's right. That's right. You, you've got to have that support. You can't let them ignore you. That, that's, that's, a, that's a key takeaway. You've got to be listened to and heard. So I think a lot of people feel kind of helpless on that front when it comes to environmental issues these days. Mm. It's kind of fallen off uh, the front burner in the way that it was. Do you feel any hope as you look at the situation that that we're in? I mean, there is this news, $1 billion for Superfund sites. Does that at least give you some hope? Yes. With this administration in, in, in Washington, uh, whatever else is going on with all the issues we're having to deal with, yeah. this administration has tackled the environmental and conservation and the kind of the biological issues that we needed to have addressed and were neglected, I'm sorry, in the last administration. And, and this administration is trying 
their best to bring these things back to the forefront. They've made a commitment. We've had the current EPA director visit St. Louis at least three times, Mm. to my knowledge, and we never had any EPA director in the previous administration ever come to St. Louis. So, you know, there's interest in issues that are important here. And and that is that's absolutely crucial. Uh, the state we've got we've we've got some really good people leading our state Department of Natural Resources now, but they're still working within a, a, a government system that makes it difficult. Well, Steve Mafood, I want to thank you so much for sharing this history and sharing your observations today. Thank you for so much, Sarah. Great to be here. Steve is the former director of the Missouri Department of Natural Resources. This episode was produced by Evie Hemphill with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.